What's good, everybody, and welcome to a jam-packed, busy episode of the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Your host, yours surely, Jai Shields, here on this busy week one recap show all over uh, the events from uh, my Bengals and Steelers not wanting to win the uh, thrilling and just... Exuberant, just exciting and heart wrenching, gut wrenching game in Cincinnati. We'll touch. We'll touch on that. Obviously, uh, Trey Lance and the San Francisco 49ers losing to the Bears. We'll get into that. The Packers' offensive woes versus the uh, taking on the Minnesota Vikings and their loss. The Giants beating the uh, Tennessee Titans in their Week One victory, win number one. Underneath the belt of newly uh, New York Football Giants head coach Brian Dable, we'll of course discuss that. Cowboys season in turmoil after their first game and their Sunday night loss to the Tampa Buccaneers. We will get into that. We will preview uh, the Thursday Thursday night game, Week Two, between the Chiefs and the Bucks, or excuse me, the uh, Chiefs and the. Uh, and the uh, L.A. Chargers, we will get into that. Um, I'll touch on my Baltimore Orioles, who are finito, finished through, kaput, for the 2022 season. I will uh, quick. I will uh, touch on them and write their eulogy uh, as we get deeper into the program uh, as well. Um, let me tell you something right now. And just to like kind of peel back the curtain, on how I on how this show is on how this show is set up, you know. Of course, obviously, with it being a show, this show, which I have been very fortunate enough that, like I said, this is our what our uh, fifth, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. This is the fifth NFL season that yours truly has been behind the microphone of this show to uh, cover and to talk about. Um, so the way I do it is that, with especially during during the football season more though than any sport, because football, un- unlike all the other sports with the NFL specifically, it's an event. And although you pick every game and, and I pay attention to every game and I can tweet about any game at any moment specific in time and any game can end up being uh the lead story of the week a la c uh a la c um uh, the, the the game about the i'm about to break down um and uh a la the game I'm about to break down and scream about here in a couple minutes but my attitude heading into not my attitude but my game plan heading into um Heading into week one was this. You know, regardless of the result, I was going to talk Steelers-Bengals. And basically left it open to to either either one or two things. The juiciest storylines coming out of the game or the better games. So I knew, for example, that I was going to have to talk Bucks-Cowboys. I knew that I was most likely going to have to talk Packers-Vikings. 
I knew because it was Trey Lance, most likely, that I was going to have to discuss 49ers Cowboys, Chargers and Raiders, which I will. Chiefs Cardinals, basically based on the fact that it's the Chiefs' first game without Tyreek Hill. And so when I go ahead and I discuss this, discuss the games with you, obviously I can't break down and go through every single week one NFL game because I'd be here a week for, to do it decisively and to do it solid to, to give a good opinion and to and to break down and recap it properly. I'd you know it'd be a five hour sh- it'd be a five it'd be a five hour show, no commercials, just me talking. You know every single. Tuesday for the rest of the season. So I basically have my arms tied where where the Bengals game automatically has to get airtime, obviously, because I'm a Bengals fan. And then what other interesting games to follow? And I kind of have to pick and choose what games I can either elaborate on. I'll, I'll elaborate on some more that I think that will provide juice for the show versus what games that won't that I don't think will be as interesting to talk about either that a I don't think the inter- the audience you guys out there will be interested in hearing me talk about it because of the fact that you know because the game wasn't that interesting it either was a boring matchup or the game wasn't that great so I kind of have to differentiate what games to talk about and what games not to talk about just because I may preview a game that's intriguing going in that Friday may not be the game I talk about on the show coming out of the weekend on the Tuesday show, the recap. And I say all of that to say is that heading into last night on Monday night, I did not plan on talking about the Broncos and Seahawks game because on paper, and I knew that it was Russell Wilson's first game back and this, that, and the other. On paper, heading into Monday night's game, I did not plan on discussing the Broncos and Seahawks. I did not plan I did not plan on discussing it. If I did, it was probably gonna be something minor that was gonna take about maybe ten minutes, if that's me to get whatever point across that I observed throughout, you know, during the game, and that was gonna be the end of it. I didn't even have this game making the quote-unquote show sheet. And yet, and this is after the debacle that took place with my Bengals the day before. I didn't even have them making my show sheet. Today, they are getting an entire segment here in the opening monologue. Let me tell you something right now. Whatever the hell I saw from Nathaniel Hackett last night. If you're a Broncos fan, you better hope and pray to the holiest of deities that you never see it again. Because he was inept. His team was inept. His team was ill-prepared. His team was undisciplined. And it was just a fiasco one of the biggest fiascos from an NFL head coach making his head coaching debut that I have ever seen in all my years of watching NFL football. I mean, how in the hell can you be that unprepared, that pathetic, that lethargic, that out of it, that undisciplined for a week one game? 
How can you? How can you, at your first ever game coaching in the National Football League as a head coach, how can you be this bad, Nathaniel Hackett? How, how can you be this bad? And we'll get to the final drive in the field goal decision in a minute. Can, I mean, just go look at the numbers. You look, you looked at the numbers. You looked at the statistics for Denver in the game last night. They committed 12 penalties for 106 yards. 12 penalties for 106 yards. How in the world? The... How in the world? That's up there with the Jaguars with the most penalties in all of week one. 12 penalties for 106 yards. They t- they were 0-4 in the red zone last night. 0-4. How in the world? Do you have you you move heaven and earth? You you give away your future for the now and bringing in Russell Wilson wasn't wasn't correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the reason why the Denver Broncos canned Vic Fangio was because their red zone offense was was in the bottom of the barrel, one of the worst in the National Football League, and putting the ball in the end zone inside an opponent's twenty yard line. I mean. Was the reason why they canned Vic Fangio was because their offense was one of the most lethargic, most meh, boring, bland, unproductive offenses in the National Football League? Isn't Isn't that the reason why Nathaniel Hackett was hired to begin with? You guys scored 16 points. You scored one lousy touchdown. One. One lousy touchdown. You went 0-4 within the red zone and fumbled not once, but twice inside the red zone and walked away with zero points. And the penalties. I mean, my goodness gracious. Didn't it... Was hack... Was Hackett aware of the fact that the game was being played in Seattle? Was Nathaniel Hackett aware of the fact that this was the biggest that this was the biggest Seahawks home game of the season? Was he aware that the crowd that the twelfth man was going to show up in droves because it was Russell Wilson's first game as a Denver Bronco, first game as a Bronco returning back? To Lumen Field, where he played for 10 seasons, 9 years. And it was Monday Night Football across the nation. Did he forget that the 12th man was, and that the Seahawks fan, and that the Seahawks players themselves were going to get up for this game? Were they aware, were they aware of that? How in the world does Nathaniel Hackett game plan for two weeks? Like I like I said earlier in the previous episodes, week one you got two weeks. 
outside of the bye week, this is the only time in the regular season, only time during the NFL season, besides the, if you're one of the two teams skilled enough to make the Super Bowl, where you have two whole weeks of preparation to get ready for an opponent. And your best performance against the Seattle Seahawks, a perennial last place team, a team that could that most likely is going to finish with a top fifteen, top ten pick in the draft coming up in two thousand coming up in two thousand and uh two thousand and twenty three. And your first game as an NFL head coach, your team tallies up twelve penalties for hundred and six yards. Are you kidding me? What the hell did you work on during training camp for a month and a half? Because it damn sure wasn't discipline. It damn sure wasn't getting out of the huddle on time so you don't have to waste timeouts and take the lag game penalties hand over fist. And it damn sure wasn't over ball security because your team lost two fumbles inside the five-yard line of Seattle. And I understand the Seahawks only scored 17 points and, and their defense held Seattle scoreless in the second half. But my goodness gracious me. I mean, they they had Geno Smith looking like Russell Wilson for goodness sakes. I mean, do receivers getting wide open and open field. I mean, what is this? My goodness! I mean, it's just, I mean, you 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 can't you can't. And don't get me wrong, the stat sheet you'd say, oh well, they held Seattle scoreless in the second half. They held Seattle scoreless in the second half, and they only and they only and they only allowed the uh, and they only allowed the Seattle Seahawks to gain. To gain less than uh, to, they allowed Geno Smith to throw for. As my screen's acting up. Only allowed Geno Smith to throw for 195 yards, and they as a team only put up only a hundred only two hundred and fifty-three yards in total Oh, they did good. Yeah, those stats are in a vacuum. Okay, there's no reason the way that they played in the first half for a defense that I thought was I understand it's only week one. And I don't want to overreact, and I don't want to, you know, fall into the trap of week one. It's, you know, it's a 17 game, it's an 18 week regular season, 17 games you play. But my goodness gracious, I thought that the ma- that the primary problem with the Denver Broncos was their offense, and all they needed was just a revamped offense, an offensive minded coach, an updated offensive minded coach, and they'd be good to go. Well, I understand they played very good in the second half, but compared to the first half, it was like my I was like my goodness gracious, you guys might as well see if you can get Vic Fangio back on the phone because your defense was absolutely atrocious in the first half. And you look offensively, and you and you only put the ball in the end zone once. And you out and you outgained Seattle four hundred and thirty-three 
Total yards of offense to 253. You do the math on that. 433 yards of total offense to Seattle's 253. You, you outgained the Seattle Seahawks by 180 yards and you still lost the game. I mean, my goodness. Aren't the Broncos supposed to be a, 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 a AFC West divisional contender at the worst and at best a Super Bowl contender? I mean, what is this garbage? What is this garbage? I mean, my good. You couldn't have coached a worse game if you were Nathaniel Hackett. You couldn't have coached a worse game. The inconsistency at running back. I mean, why, why in the world did. Jamison Williams, excuse me, Devontae, Javante Williams only gets seven carries. The running back position is not a plug-and-play position. Uh, the running back position is a position where when you excel, it's because you're in a rhythm. You're getting, you're getting carries once every other snap. Two snaps at a time. First or second down, you're getting the ball. It's a routine. The great running backs are great running backs because they're able to get into a rhythm. How in the world Williams gets seven carries and Melvin Gordon 12 carries to 58? I mean, are you, seriously? This is what we're doing now? We're platooning running backs. Stick with one running back and let it and, and leave it alone. Keep Gordon on the sidelines and put Williams in. And it also ties into another thing, too. I don't understand the logic with these head coaches nowadays. I don't understand. And don't sit up here and say, and I know you're going to sit up here and say, well, it's because of injury. Well, look, you, you, it's football. It's football, contact sport, full contact. You're with a bunch of grown men in the big boy league. Risk or taking risks are a part of sports. It's part of life. It's part of sports. They took a risk kicking an asinine 64-yard field, which I'll get to in a minute. That's a risk. The benefit is he makes it. You win the game. The downside is you miss it, and he got destroyed from midnight here in the East all throughout the morning and the afternoon and the next day on Tuesday. It's a risk. But I do not understand where these NFL head coaches nowadays, with their thought processes and what and and and, their, and, their, and where and where they come from, and what's their logic, and what is their realm of thinking when they when it, when it comes to not playing these players in preseason, I, I I don't understand it. You cannot under any circumstances. And I said it during my rants that I did after the Bengal game on my Twitter and on my uh, Twitter and Instagram lives. You cannot, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you cannot have a new quarterback, a new revamped offensive line, whether it's through the draft, free agency, trades, whatever. 
You cannot have, when it's your offensive line, your running backs, your wide receivers, your tight ends, your quarterback. You cannot plug and play with those key positions on offense, especially the quarterback, especially the offensive line, and especially the wide receiver. You cannot just plug and play with your new toys like it's like you're playing Madden Ultimate Team and all of a sudden expect to be a fine-tuned, weld oil machine come week one. That is not how real-world NFL football works. How many times do I have to tell you guys that? It's about rhythm. It's about chemistry. It's about congeniality. It's about knowing what makes your coworkers tick, what doesn't make them tick, what motivates them, what doesn't motivate them. Knowing their strengths and weaknesses, knowing them inside and out. And yet these coaches sit up there and they're petrified that if they play their star quarterback or they play their star uh, 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 offensive players for three series in a preseason game in August. That all of a sudden they're gonna have a career-ending injury, and they'll and they'll never hear the end of it, and they'll get and they'll get kicked to the curb. It, does that chance exist? Of course it does. But at what point do you take these? As you as an NFL head coach, and in this particular situation, the thing like, what point do you sit back and say, you know what? It's worth the risk if we don't look like a bunch of amateurs come week one. Because these games count. I can understand if you are a rebuilding franchise, but even a rebuilding franchises. Go out there and send out the and send out their young talent to play in preseason games. A lot of just with Zach Wilson. But if you're a rebuilding team, if you're a team not expected to win, that's one thing. But if you're a team that's either young, rebuilding and looking to contend, or a contending team bringing in new pieces. I, I, I do not understand what the benefit is of resting your star, intricate players, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I, I don't see I, I, I don't see what the benefit is. Yes, I understand the risk of injury, but it's football. Injuries happen. You gotta take risks. There's a benefit to taking risks. I, I don't understand. You you trade for Russell Wilson, new what in a, in a new offensive system with new teammates, and you barely, if at all, plan throughout the preseason. Where is the logic in that? What happened? They came out the gate sloppy, unprepared, a million penalties on offense, a whole bunch of delayed game penalties. And it's just a mess. And you go ahead and you look out. Rams didn't play their guys in preseason. What happened? They got punched in the mouth. The Bills play their guys in preseason. What happened? They, they punched the Rams in the mouth in, in, in the aforementioned game. Kansas City played their players in preseason. Mahomes played Reed played his guys in preseason. Do you see the beat down and 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 the can of whoop ass they unleashed on the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday? So you can't sit there and tell me that the Chiefs losing Patrick Mahomes 
is is more significant than the Broncos losing Russell Wilson. You can't sit up and say that. One bad tackle, one bad one bad uh, 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 juke, or one bad turn. Mahomes running the football. He gets injured, torn ACL out for the year. Kansas City season goes up in smoke. But the championship teams and the good coaches are willing to risk, take some risk, because they begin with the end in mind. They know that the, they they see bigger than the big picture, and the big picture isn't always your star player on IR with the season-ending injury. Sometimes the bigger picture is, you know what, if we lose a playoff spot, if we miss the playoffs, if we miss out on winning the division or home field advantage based on one game on a loss that we thought we could afford early in the season, but in the back of the season, in retrospect, we couldn't afford it, you know what? Maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's worth it if I allow my star guys to work out the kinks in August when the games don't matter. Rather than have them work them out early in the season, week one, two, three, and four in, in September when the games do matter. And then the final drive. I mean, my goodness gracious my goodness gracious me. I mean, I don't understand the logic of the... Th I don't! Russell Wilson's conversion rate in the fourth quarter in his career. For, did you know on fourth and five and less, Russell Wilson has converted 69% of the time on fourth and fives or less. Fourth and five or more, 40%. And he goes out there and trots out Brandon McManus, who in his life has missed all six field goal attempts of 62 yards or more. He trots out Brandon McManus to make a kick that in the last 30 years has a 6% chance of succeeding. Trots out a kicker who has missed all six of his attempts from 62 yards or more. To go ahead and try to make a kick that has a 6% chance of happening going off of the data for the last 30 years in the National Football League. And I'm literally sitting there watching it during the final drive. Watching the clock just tick, 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 tick. I'm watching it. I'm like, why is this guy running down the clock? It's fourth down. Even if you get, even if you convert here, you want to make sure you got enough time so you can at least get McManus as close as you possibly can. The clock just ticking, 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 ticking. I'm simply like, is anybody in the stadium on the wearing a Denver Bronco hat jersey uniform going to call a timeout here? And I, I, I tweeted it even before he tried to make Manus out there on the field. I tweeted a horrendous coaching performance from Hackett. He was there in the headlights. He was clueless. Had no idea what he's doing. And he traps out Brandon McManus to kick a 64-yard field goal. Did he realize that the game was being played in Seattle, not in Denver? And there's just no shade with Brandon McManus, but it, he's not Justin Tucker. 
What do you think? Brandon McManus with his eyes closed is going to kick a 64-yard field goal? What, are you kidding me? He's not Justin Tucker. Would have been the second longest made field goal in NFL history, and the first one that, that Tucker had was only a year ago. So unlike Justin Tucker, you know, he's sat on this record for the last for the last five years. That's a brand new record as of September of 2021. And he goes out there and shots up Brandon McManus. And Russell Wilson, I'm sorry. You know, and this and remember, Russell Wilson is the same guy that signed off. He's got the he's got the coach's headset implanted in something. It's the same guy that sounded that 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 okayed that signed off on the asinine decision to to throw the football at the goal line on a second and goal down 28-24 against the Patriots Super Bowl 49. Signed off on Daryl Bevel and Pete Carroll in, in the headset. He signed off on it and threw the interception of Malcolm Butler. That cost him the game. For all the and, and, and after an entire, essentially two years worth of the whole let Russ cook mantra, the whole Broncos country let's ride, and, and, the, and the friction with him and Pete Carroll wanting him to have, have more control of the offensive game plan, have more control of the game, and basically wanting Russell, basically Russell Wilson wanting Russell Wilson to be the one to call the shots. How in the world does he sit there and stand there with the clock in the game literally ticking away and not call a timeout to literally they were about to get called for another delay of game? So what, they get called for another delay of game? What, is they going to try out Brandon McManus to kick a 69-yard field goal? All I heard about is let Russ cook this, let Russ cook that. Every single time I turn around, when it, when it comes time for Russell Wilson to, to stick his chest out and for, and, and for him to show a little fight back or have a little dialogue or, 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 to, or to, you know, challenge his, 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 his coaches, he takes a pass. He, I mean, I'm not, and I and just be clear, I'm not talking about him killing the thing I got to the media. I'm talking about what, while the clock is ticking away, he 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 knows where the clocks in Lumen Field are. He played there for ten seasons. Uh, while the clock in the game is literally ticking away, timeout, fourth and five, game's on the line. We gotta conserve as much time as possible. Plus, we need extra time to think about this. Never once did he do that. He ne never. All this, t all this talk about how much I want the ball in my hands and, and, and I want just as much control and say-so the offense and the coaches when it comes time for us Wilson to have control and say-so, he, 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 he never takes up and he never uh, capitalizes on his opportunity. And when Hackett is sitting up there telling Brandon McManus to tread off the field, I don't care if he's got a... I don't care if he has to cuss Nathaniel Hackett up and down. You say, Nate, I have played games and have won NFC Championship games in the stadium. I have won Super Bowl rings. I have been and played in playoff games and have won Super Bowls. You have not. I've been in the league doing what I have been doing for the last 10 years. 
This is your first game. I have played games in this stadium. You have not. I have played in one-minute football games in the stadium. You have not. There is not a chance in hell we are trotting out Brandon McManus, who is off six for field goal 62 yards or more, to try to kick a 64-yard field goal to win a game when you just paid me over $200 million. And Russell Wilson did not do that. He did not do that. Russell Wilson, for the money that he makes, and the aura that comes with him and all the noise that I have heard from the, in the, from the final years with the Seahawks all, all throughout the offseason leading up to the game on Monday night with the let Russ cook garbage, all that, he needs to step up and have the balls to challenge his coach and say, listen, with all due respect, I'd be damned if we are going to kick a 64-yard field goal to win the game on a fourth and five. We're not doing it. Brandon, stay on the sideline. We're going for this. If we get it, great. We'll try to see if we get a little closer, take a timeout, and assess the situation once we get the once we get this fourth down. Once we convert on fourth down and get this first down, first down. If we don't get it, Fine. Congratulations to the Seahawks. We are not under any circumstances sending out Brandon McManus to make a long field goal that has a 6% chance of being converted in the last 30-year history of the National Football League. And a kicker who was all of six in his last attempts. There's just no excuse for that. There isn't. I mean, if Nathaniel Hackett is getting outcoached in circles by Pete Carroll in 2022, that is a glaring issue. Pete Carroll coached circles around Nathaniel Hackett as if it was 2014. Coached circles around him. Pete Carroll had his team ready to play, had his team amped up, had his team focused, had his team disciplined, said, Gino, you're not going to be throwing the ball all over the place and, and, and with stupid mistakes, at, you know, playing quarterback and turn over the football and throwing interceptions at the right. You know, and we're not doing that. We're not, we're not getting caught our pants around ankles with the stupid penalties. We're not, we're not having that. We are going to be a well-oiled machine heading into this football game. And Nathaniel Hackett basically woke up Monday morning and realized he had a football game that night and basically, you know, winged it in front of 19 million people watching on Monday Night Football. You're getting out coached by Pete Carroll in 2022. Something is seriously wrong. If you're making Vic Fangio and Vance Joseph look like Dan Reeves, God rest his soul, and Mike Shanahan, we got bigger issues. And Russell Wilson can deny it till the cows come home. He was rattled. Rattled. R-A-T-T-L-E-D. Rattled. By the crowd on Monday night. Rattled.
He thought that they were going to throw bouquets at him and kiss the ring. And people have can can complain and yell and scream. And I mean personally wouldn't have booed Russell Wilson myself if I was a Seahawks fan because I don't believe in booing your your greatest quarterback in the history of the franchise, a quarterback that brought your team to relevance, won you many a playoff games, won you many a division titles, brought you the two Super Bowls and won won one of them. I don't believe in, in booing a guy. If he went to the 49ers, that's a different story. But I don't believe, I, I wouldn't have booed him myself. And before the game started, I was like, bad job by the Seahawks fans by booing him. But once the game started, not saying that I agree with their decision making, but I see the other side of the argument. I see the other side of the coin. Because when they did that, booing Russell Wilson when he came out onto the field, his first offensive drive, and when he booed him during pregame warm-ups, right then and there they got underneath his skin and bothered him. Hell never said, he never admitted, he was bothered by the fact that they booed him. And basically... Looked at him as as just as 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 a Seahawks as as the Seahawks opponent. They were bothered by that. He was bothered by that, I should say. And another thing, Seahawks. As I drop my pen, the Seahawks do not win that game if it's played in Denver. The twelfth man and that sellout crowd that they had last night was just as, as it was just as as vile of, of a part of them winning that football game as Geno Smith was as that defense was 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 just as was just as vital. I don't I didn't see the Pete Carroll victory speech in locker room after the game, but if it was me, I'd give the twelfth man a game ball for that one. Because they were in it and just as much as part of the Seahawks winning that game as the players on the field were. And the coaches that game planned all throughout the weekend were calling out the defensive coverages and were calling the offensive plays. They don't win that game if that game's played in Denver. And they got under Russell Wilson's skin as soon as they were had the opportunity to do so. And from that moment on, the Seahawks had a chance. Let's, I picked this game to be a snooze fest, a blowout 35-3. to And lo and behold, it ends up being the best week one primetime game of the weekend. How do you like that? And one other thing. And, and those of you that have listened to this show for a good while know... That uh, know that I am not the biggest Joe Buck fan. That I find him incredibly overrated and and just not a a an elite broadcaster as everybody makes him out to be. I love Aikman, but Buck, I I, I don't care for. I, let me tell you something. That was one of the best games that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have ever called. They weren't good. They were great in the booth on Monday night. One of one of their best one of their best games in all the years that they've worked together that I've seen, and it feels so good to see Monday to see that Monday Night Football booth have a solid, concrete, respectable, 
A-list level broadcast booth again. Those two have done many a big games together. Have broadcasted many a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 39, 41, no, excuse me, 39, 42, 45, 48, 51, 54, many every single NFC Championship game for the last 20 years leading up to this season. Many a playoff games, many a 425 showcase games on Fox, many a, many a Thanksgiving games in, in Detroit and in Dallas. They, they have done the big-time games. It felt like a big... T- we already knew the energy and the storylines and the drama heading into this game, but you knew that this game meant something. When it's Monday Night Football on ABC, the theme song, the classic old-school Johnny Pearson theme song, and you got a crew in the booth where this wasn't their first big-time rodeo. They said at the beginning of the game that you know that they got chills. I don't know whether it's the fact that it, that they've worked together all this time and, and, and here they are broadcasting Monday night, doing their first ever Monday night football game and the environment of Seattle and they hear the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun prior to kickoff in the headset, whatever it was, but even they admitted that this... That this that this was a big-time, high-energy, high-octane game for week one of the NFL season. If you think I got a lot to say about that, just wait till I sign off on my Bengals. Then next, the I'm Tell I Can Tell You podcast. Welcome back to the I'm a Tell Like a T.I.S. podcast. Switching gears now to another disgrace from week one. I thought my Cincinnati Bengals took the cake and then last night happened with Nathaniel Haggard. The biggest uh, disgrace that I saw, especially from a coaching perspective and lack of preparation and everything else, from week one, uh, the worst one on Sunday, was the was the 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 just the 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 cluster bleep of confusion and just and just sheer just ineptitude and just not ready to play it's whatever it was I saw Sunday afternoon with my Cincinnati Bengals I mean I, I just let me and I'll get to Taylor in a minute. Just break down these plays for you. Okay, first off, Joe Burrow got sacked seven times. And I sounded off on this on my on Instagram and on Twitter lives, which I went which which I did separate times on sit on the separate platforms. You can still check them out at the J Shield at your uh, at your uh, at your own um leisure. Joe Burrow got sacked seven times. Okay, seven times. It also was by far the worst game he's ever played in his young 
now three-year NFL career. And looking at the tape in full, watching back, looking at the tape with no emotion, just me just watching a game and analyzing it, jotting down and taking notes. He got sacked seven times, and let me just break him down for you. The first two sacks that he had in the first quarter were on him. He, Joe Burrow, one of the things about his game that is his strength, that is also could end up, if he's not careful, one of his biggest weaknesses and could and could be a, a, a major flaw in, the, in his game if he's not careful. And what works at the double-edged sword for him is that he's always, his, uh, his, his ability wanting to extend the play, never being satisfied with the result or the play breaking down or the play just not working out and developing in his, in his favor, always looking to extend the play and trying to look for and, and trying to look for the miracle play downfield. And the first two sacks that he took in the first drive were completely, or excuse me, in, in, in the first quarter, were completely on him for holding on to the ball too long. I understand the offensive line's got to do their job and they got to block better, and I'll get to them in a minute. But you cannot expect to hold on to the ball for ages against that defense with that defensive pass rush with that player and T.J. Watt on the other side and expect not to get sacked. And Burrow better check that. He better fix that. I hope Zach Taylor and Kent and Callahan and their offensive coaching staff Address that. I hope Burrow knows that. I hope he knows that internally. Just during the, just as the game was going on, while he was reflecting after the game on Sunday, and when he watched the tape, I hope he notices that because you cannot going going up against the Dallas Cowboys with 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 their seat. Listen, their season's gone to hell. They have no offense. Uh, their Mike McCarthy is a lame duck coach, a dead man walking. But the only real chance the Cowboys have on a, on a wing of prayer of winning this game is their defense and basically copy pasting the same game plan and the same formula that the Steelers had minus their mistakes, which I'll get to a little bit later on. That's the only chance of they ha they have of winning this game is getting after the quarterback and holding Cincinnati to field goals and forcing turnovers. Burrow cannot do the same thing he did on Sunday up against Michael Parsons and the Cowboys defense on Sunday. And two out of the, uh, out of the seven sacks he took were on him for holding on to the ball too damn long. If the play is not there, Joseph, throw the ball away. The third sack was completely on was on Highsmith and a great play by him. He just completely just whisked past Jonah Williams, who got taken to the cleaners on Sunday afternoon. Got taken to the cleaners. Go to the Mika Fitzpatrick pick six. That was a terrible read by Joe. That play had zero chance of being completed. It was a bad throw, bad read. Bad play all around. We sh we shall we shall continue. 
Also, uh, the interception that Burrow threw on a first and 10 with 5.28 to go in the, in the uh, second quarter. He threw it in the airtight coverage with the with the DB riding Boyd's hip pause. And even if Boyd was fortunate enough to get his hands on the ball, Minka Fitzpatrick, the safety, was playing center field and was right there to meet Tyler Boyd. Ready to either co-cock him or scare Tyler Boyd even into dropping the ball. That ball should have never been thrown into the middle of the field with Minka there to meet Tyler Boyd with airtight coverage with the with the with the defensive back playing man-to-man coverage. That's another. That's another. That's a. Uh, that's another mistake that Bro made. Anything else before I hop on the before I uh, before I uh, destroy Zach Taylor? No. Zach, we had just got finished playing a Super Bowl where your offensive play calling during the final drive was inept. It was inept. It was bad. It was dull. It was stupid. It was asinine. Okay? You're coming off of a heartbreaking Super Bowl loss. I screamed and yelled to the heavens, on fr- on last Wednesday and last Friday, how essentially nobody outside of the, the 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 confines of Cincinnati, Ohio, and Bengals fans across the country, nobody gives y'all a chance. You guys weren't even favored at the beginning of the season to win your own division, let alone make it back to the Super Bowl as AFC champions, let alone win it. Having lost the previous season, which only one team in the last 20 years the National Football League has been able to do, and that's the 2018 New England Patriots. Your team was dead. Your team was flat. Your team was sloppy, unorganized, pathetic, lethargic, sleepwalking, asleep at the wheel, and just, dare I say, devoid of a Pulse in the first half. What in the world did I watch on Sunday afternoon? What did I watch with the penalties, the sloppiness? When the Bengals, you only committed four penalties, but the timing of them, the timing of them were bad. You were, you you had. Only six points heading into the half. Six points. I understand the Steelers' defense is top-notch. I understand T.J. Watt is the best defensive player in the AFC. Second best defensive player in all of football behind Aaron Donald. But there is no excuse for in the first game of the season, a rivalry game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, your hated arch nemesis that has owned this franchise for literal decades, and you come out flat as a pancake the way that you did. There is no excuses for that. None. Especially when it's Mitchell Jabisky behind center, not Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers' offense stinks. Matt Canada has zero business being an offensive play caller for Pittsburgh. And their offensive line is the equivalent of a bunch of turnstiles. You turn over the football how many times? You turn over the football five times in a game against a team that 
is not even going to make the playoffs. That is rebuilding, and you stunk. There is no excuse for that. Again, same thing with the Broncos. You had two weeks to prepare for Pittsburgh. Rivalry game, first game of the season, home game. And you sit up there and you give the good people of Cincinnati, and you give us Bengals fans that piece of filth we watched on Sunday afternoon. He, every last one of you, should be embarrassed by that, by that pathetic performance I saw on Sunday. Pathetic. That game, if you are a Bengals fan watching that, made you want to vomit ten times over. It was pathetic and it was offensive to the senses. That was disgusting to watch. And I understand it's only week one, long season left to go. And I understand the Buffalo, and it, to be honest, to be full transparency, when I, went, when, head, when I put head to pillow on Sunday night and woke up Monday morning, I felt a little better than I did after the game in the later hours of Sunday afternoon because it was the same similar game to when Buffalo played Pittsburgh in week one last year. Remember that? When Pittsburgh walked into Buffalo, Buffalo had Super Bowl expectations, everything else, and they come in and got punched in the mouth by Pittsburgh, sloppy, piss-poor special teams, getting kicks and punts blocked. Uh, offense barely able to put the ball into the end zone. Quarterback getting chased around like their tails on fire by T.J. White, all nine yards. Coach not with a with a pathetic game plan. Didn't have his players up and ready to play. And the Steelers with Mike Tomlin, guns blazing, were raring to go. Similar game made me feel better in the aftermath of the game, but in the moment. My blood was boiling watching that. And it's almost at the point now I've been talking so much crap about him over the years. It's almost, I gotta start giving my Tom and credit now. Not only does he always have the lucky horseshoe up his ass where he's able to finish above 500 every single year. He all, even when he has the, when he has these garbage rosters, he's got to assemble in between the ending of training camp and week one. He always finds a way to get his team up, raring to go, and raring to play when nobody in America thinks they have a chance to win a game. We saw it against Buffalo last year, week one, and we saw it again this year. We saw it in the games that they played against Baltimore last year. We saw, we saw it on we saw it on Sunday. When the Pittsburgh Steelers are up, energized, hyped, and ready to play, they're as long as teach as long as number ninety is on the field and they got a halfway decent defense and Tom is on the sideline. They are as dangerous as any team in the National Football League you can want to play. And that is hand on heart, honest to, to God, truth on that. As much as I can't stand that team, as much as I can't stand that cocky ass fan base, 
I respect the hell out of Mike Tomlin and the job that he and, and, and that Steelers team. I can't stand them every single time my team will lose to them. It makes my skin crawl and my blood boil. But I res- but they earn they earn every ounce of respect in my body for them because they go out there and they handle and they handle their business. They walked into that environment knowing. Bengals defending AFC champions, defending division champions. They expect to go back to the Super Bowl. Sellout crowd. It's going to be uh, uh, Pittsburgh against the world. And what does Mike Tomlin do? He comes out there pregame warmups. He's chuckling, high five, and taking pictures with the with the few uh, Steelers fans that showed up in the stadium. He's gifting his players black Air Force Ones before the game. He's 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 dancing in the locker room after the game. I mean, loose, loose as he's as loose as an oversized T-shirt. The Bengals tight as a damn drum. Something is wrong with this hair. We, I thought we were supposed to be the big bad boys of the North. I thought the tide was supposed to change, that the tables have turned, that the roles have reversed, judge, judging off of the last three Bengals victories over Pittsburgh. And I thought it was supposed to be us that's supposed to be loosey-goosey, kicking the Steelers up and down the football field, not the other way around. And it's turnover city. It's 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 turnover city. I I I I, I see I see you know I I I get I get I I I get Highsmith going on. I get Highsmith going on block on the third sack of the game. I get uh what what's his name? I I I got I got the, the defensive back on the burrow f- on, on on the burrow strip sack at the end of overtime, just going completely unblocked, completely unchecked, screaming. Screaming, screaming! They they stacked the box on him, and nobody saw him coming. Just came screaming, went unblocked, hits Burrow, fumbles the football. That stupid ass nine rule inside two minutes. You can't advance the fumble outside of the starting quarterback. We got a punt. Zach Taylor's head is in the clouds. His head is in the clouds. His head is in Skyline Chili. His head is everywhere. But at the game, Pancor Stadium on the Bengals sideline. And never once does it occur to him with the clock running, with the Steelers having no timeouts to let the clock bleed, let it run all the way down, either take a delay a game or snap the ball with one second left. So by the time the Pittsburgh Steelers, I wrote it down, by the time the Steelers get the ball with the with the with Kevin Huber's punt in the air, they 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 start their return with 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Or in the overtime. They start the punt return with 49 seconds left in overtime. With no timeouts. But no. Now with Zach Taylor. Or or, 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 or worse shit. He doesn't even decide to challenge Jamar Chase. With the would have been touchdown catch. At the goal line. With two minutes and change in the fourth quarter. 
Now the field just blew the call. I don't know how in the world, how in the world can you be a National Football League field judge right on the play, dead looking at it, and get the play ruling wrong? And nobody in Taylor's headset has said, Coach, take a breath. Why are you rushing? Chase broke the plane. Let's use our, t let's use our challenge here and look at this. He admitted that he got it wrong, but it's like Nathaniel Hackett today. Well, looking back on it, you know, I probably should have went for the fourth and five instead of kicking the 64 yard field goal. Oh, Zach Taylor, well, you know, looking back on it, I, you know, my one of my biggest regret, regrets of the game is not challenging it. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, it's great as you feel that way now when the game's over and done with. Where, where, where is this line of thinking in the moment during the games? I mean, it's just bad to worse. Minka Fitzpatrick rushes right through the gap, goes unblocked on a, on 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 what would have been a game-winning PHJ. I don't want to hear any. And I understand the long snapper. I don't want any of this garbage. Well, it was the fact that it, that the long snapper took five years to get the snap off. Minka Fitzpatrick, it the long snapper Clark Harris being out does not excuse. The piss poor coaching from Taylor and whoever the hell the name of the special team coaches for letting Minka Fitzpatrick rush through the gap and go unblocked to get a, to get his mitt on the football. The block would would have been the game winning PAT to end the game. There's no excuse for that. Just dumb, 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 stupid football, and I hate watching it. What else I got to scream about? Why are you kicking a field goal on third and eight at your own 12-yard line? I understand Zach's logic. With, 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 you know, what the long snapper thinks is taken care of. That if the long snapper uh, rolls the ball on the turf like a bowling ball and, and, and they botch the snap that it gives the one, one extra chance to kick a field goal. But knowing this, why take that opportunity? You got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. Put the ball in the end zone for goodness sakes. The offense came back. It came back in the second half and won the game. Put the ball in the end zone. Tie it, rather. You get the idea. My goodness. Nobody picks up the DB blitz. What else? I mean, just a just a dumb, dumb, dumb football game. And Sam Hubbard conveniently undisciplined as hell gets jumpy, jumps off sides on a third and one. I mean, it's just you, 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 you just can't make it up with this football team. It is one step forward, two steps back. Again. You had two weeks to prepare for Pittsburgh. You didn't have to travel. And this is what you give us Bengals fans? Now they could go 16-1 and one and win the Super Bowl. And I'm pretty sure it'd all be giddy. 
it all be giddy come come uh come March twelfth, March thirteenth, whatever day it is. But still, I thought we were past being outplayed and being embarrassed by Pittsburgh. Makes me sick. Don't don't you don't you get bothered by this feeling? My God. Just, just, just bad, just stupid football. No excuse for it. Need to hit our knees and thank God that the Bengals red zone defense kept us in the game. I tell you something right now. They better... They better, if they don't do not one thing getting ready for Dallas this week, they need, the one thing needs to be this. Shut down Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons no, better be, not be nowhere to be found. They better do the same thing Tampa did, and take Joe Mixon and chip block him every single time Joe Burrow drops back the pass from shotgun. Every single time. I line up in bunch formations, pull pull the pull the right guard, whatever you got to do to, to, to keep him away from Joe Burrow, do it. And if that means Joe Mixon's got to run the ball 50 times in a game, then so be it. Because you lose to a Cooper Rush-led Dallas team, you better, you, you better, you better call somebody. Because I don't know. If they lose, let me tell you something. I swear to good Lord. They lose to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday, knock on wood, this team is in a world of trouble. A world of trouble and will receive the wrath from hell from yours truly. From the pits of hell from yours truly. If they piss their pants to the Dallas Cowboys and Cooper Rush on Sunday. The AFC champions start playing like it. Joe, none of this holding on to the to the football for, for for leap years, trying to find Jamar Chase down the field. If he ain't open, throw the ball away. Offensive line block for him. Zach Taylor, no one to utilize your challenges. Sam Hubbard line up on sides. Practice long snapping. Block on these on on these, on these field goal opportunities. Back right after this.
Welcome back to the Amateur Like a TIS podcast. To the rest of the action around week one of the National Football League, we will begin with the 49ers and the Bears. 49ers are losing in an upset to the Chicago Bears by the finals. Matt Eberflus getting his first uh, win as uh, as an NFL head coach by the final score of 19-10. to 10. Just to give you a couple of takeaways that I took from the game. Uh, we'll do Trey Lance first because he is one of the main reasons why uh, I paid much attention to this game. Um, you know, he was as, you know, just as a, he wasn't um, good in the game. He wasn't good. He 13 for 28, 164 yards, one interception, t- uh, was sacked twice. He was not good in the game. I understand, especially on the lines of the fourth quarter, the 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 game conditions were absolutely damn near impossible to play in with with the, with them playing in in a in you know in a, on a sloppy wet messy puddly field and in a monsoon in Chicago so I'm so I'm not you know didn't expect them he or Justin Fields that matter look like you know Joe Montana and Jim McMahon but uh but on on what I did see and the throws that he did make when the weather was manageable he what he wasn't good wasn't good uh was was not good I was not left impressed I was not left feeling encouraged I was not left uh with the, you know with that left this that I was like oh well Trey Lance showed you something showed you something impressive, showed you something promising here that would make me feel good if I was a San Francisco 49er fan down the road. You losing week one to the Bears, again, you you, you go ahead and you fall on your tail and you allow the Seahawks to go 2-0. and you, I tell you something, Jimmy G better be in, better be, better be the starting quarterback if you fall 0-2 and Trey Lance puts together another meh, subpar, bad, pretty bad, not good or garbage performance against the Seahawks. If it's me, if I'm Shanahan, I'm saying I'm don't say I don't say it to him to put any pressure on him. But I have in the back of my mind, if Trey Lance don't play well against Seattle and and and, and we don't beat Seattle by by seventeen by by double digits and score more than ten points, we gotta go to Jimmy G heading into Denver in Week Three because we because that. We we cannot allow our season to go to hell to allow Jimmy G to develop, or excuse me, allow Trey Lance to develop when we have a Super Bowl ready roster now. That that you know right think like it lump it think rightly or wrongly it doesn't matter. You cannot waste a Super Bowl ready roster for development for a quarterback that's that when it comes to his skill set and his experience at the quarterback position is wet behind the ears, the equivalent of wet, of, of, a, of a young child wet behind the ears, breath smelling like Similac. You, you just cannot have it. There's, he had a few bad throws. I go th- I'll go through them here, right here. On a first and 10, uh, he missed. It was a terrible throw where he missed a first and 10 throw over the head of Tyler Croft, where if he connects with them, he catches that about the, in between the, the, the roughly about the 10 yard line, where if he hits Tyler Croft in stride, no worse. He's no worse. It's first and first and goal for San Francisco inside the ten yard line. Best case scenario, he catches it, stays in bounds, stays on his feet. He scores his seven nothing San Francisco. 
He misses Tyler Crawford on first and 10. What happens? The drive stalls, ends in a sack. He then goes ahead and bounces a a throw it to the feet at Jawan Jennings on a third and three, where all he has to do is hit, uh, where all he has to do is hit Jawan Jennings in the numbers, and it's first down San Francisco, and he keeps keeps the drive alive. Um, uh, Anything else is another throw that I had that I marked down. Uh, there was three throws that I saw, or really four of them. The third bad throw that he had was the interception, where the, the defensive back for Chicago is eyeing him the entire play, throughout the throughout the entire play and the entire sequence of that play is eyeing him, eyeing him, watching him like like flies on cow feet on cow feekies. A terrible interception has zero chance of being completed. He threw it with uh, 9:42 to go in the fourth quarter. A horrendous read and a terrible throw by Trey Lance. Three bad throws. The missing the missing Jennings over the field. Missing a Tyler Croft, which should have been a walk-in touchdown, and the intercept and the interception with 9:42 to go in the fourth quarter. Those were, from what I gathered, were Lance's three worst throws of the afternoon on Sunday. And then a coup de gras to San Francisco on the afternoon was a horrendous pass on fourth down trying to keep the game alive. At this time, it was a monsoon happening at Soldier Field at that point. And he overthrows Kyle Juszczyk, overthrows the ball goes over his head by nine miles. Um, and then, of course, along with Trey Lance being one being one of the main reasons why San Francisco lost this game, they couldn't get off the field. They couldn't get off the field on third down. Chicago in that game on in, in the game on Sunday went five for fourteen third down efficiency. And then the five times that San Francisco that uh, Chicago converted on 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 third down, they were all clutched. They, most of the time, they were clutched out of the five times. And it was twice and two times out of the five times where where they where San Francisco was was had Justin Fields looking at a third down. They couldn't get they couldn't get off the field. And this is and this is the score uh, about midway in the latter points of the or the third quarter where San Francisco or excuse me when uh, Chicago scored a touchdown to make it ten seven. Twice in the sequence of, of that drive by Chicago. 49ers held San Francisco to two third downs, not one but two of them, and they couldn't get off the field both times. First time they stopped uh, the Bears on on third down, thought we were going to get off the field. They got called for a stupid, undisciplined face mask penalty, and then the second time on a third and nine, a la Tyree Kill, third and fifteen, Super Bowl fifty four. Uh, Justin Fields buys times, got all day, all afternoon to throw. Is at the top of the field. Is at the top of the field. Throws the ball. Throws the ball across his body, downfield, across the field to a wide open Dante Pettis, standing all by his lonesome on the other side of the field, near the opposite sideline. Catches it wide open, third and nine. Makes a couple of guys miss. Runs down the sideline. It's 10-7 San Francisco with 5.32 to go in the third quarter. And San Francisco winning an opportunity after opportunity to get off the field. Third down and moments where they need. Now, granted, 5-14, I get it, in which if you do the math, uh, off the, if you do the math off the top of your head, 5 out of, four t- five out of 14 times, 
That's a 35% uh, conversion percentage on third down for San Francisco. But it's, but don't always pay attention to their conversion percentage. Look at the moment and the sequence and the timing of the third downs. And damn it, every single one of them, when San Francisco and their offense and the team to help their cause, they needed a stop. They failed. To, they failed to do so. So the defense not being able to go off the field and cl- on clutch third downs. Uh, and it was a defensive slugfest all throughout. And and Trey Lance's three bad throws. One of them where if he connects with uh, Croft, he could have had a touchdown. Jawan Jennings, he keeps the drive alive. If he hits, uh, if he hits him in the numbers, and then the terrible interception with 9:42 to go in the fourth quarter, which was a ter- which was a horrific read and a horrific throw on uh, on Trey Lance's part. Uh, the Chargers start out the season, start out the season one and zero, taking care of business against the uh, against the uh, Vegas Raiders twenty four nineteen. I anticipate this is going to be a little bit more high scoring than it than it honestly was. Herbert's a stud. What can you say? Twenty six of thirty four, two hundred seventy nine passing yards. Uh, on the afternoon for him, Derek Carr, three interceptions, got sacked five times. That Charger defense is going to be forced to be reckoned with just as much as their offense o- offense already is. Chargers start the season 1-0. and And in the offensive woes for the Green Bay Packers, they were just absolutely disgusting to watch. I understand that uh that that uh that Watson's gotta catch that pass. He too, if he catches that, that was a beautiful thrown ball by Rodgers. If he catches that, he walks into the end zone uh and Green Bay's on the board. But it's just no but there's still no excuse to, to only to, to score on to score only seven points. Rodgers wasn't great in the game either, got sacked four times. Uh the Viking defense was all over him all afternoon through one interception. Uh, and it's just, just a pathetic, embarrassing day at the office on the, on, on the hands of the uh, of the Green Bay Packers offense. And the Green Bay Packers wide receivers, collectively, 260 yards, 26, 26 receptions. I mean, when A.J. Dillon, your running back, coming out of the backfield, your leading receiver with five receptions and 46 yards, and then you look in Los Angeles, First game, first official game as a as a Vegas Raider, and Devontae Adams puts up ten receptions, one hundred forty one yards, and one touchdown. You got major issues. Another issue that I had going back to the Raider game, you know, don't fall into the trap that Aaron Rodgers made Derek Carr and essentially forcing the issue and trying to get the ball to Devontae Adams as much as you possibly can. You you got Darren Wally a tight end who you guys just extended. You got Hunter Renfro spread the wealth. You do yourselves no favors keying in on one guy. And that's a part of the reason why Derek Carr ended up throwing three interceptions in the game. Kansas City beat the hell out of Arizona uh, 44-21, which was to be expected. Uh, you know, you knew Kansas City, uh, the way that their offense completely collapsed in the second half against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game back in January. No Tyree kill. And uh, by the way, I understand Tyree kills in love with Tua and, and, you know, you're being, and he's, you know, trying to win the respect and win the love of Tua and the guys in the locker room trying to pump him up everywhere he goes. He's getting an interview with those goofy, stupid looking sunglasses he's got on, but it's, it's enough of the, it's enough of the Tua love fest. If you're Tyree kill 
there's not a sane person in America that thinks two attack of Aloha is is a patch on Patrick Mahomes' ass. Okay, it's enough of making two a Tyreek Hill out to be the second coming of uh out the out to be the second coming of of uh, of Dan Marino. It's enough. But anyway, you expected Kansas City to go out there and ball out. Mahomes threw not one, not two, not three, not four, but five touchdown passes in a game. Only nine incomplete passes, 360 passing yards. They can't run the ball worth the crap, but what the hell else is new with the Kansas City offense that's nitpicking? Travis Kelsey, the A-all, B-all, has got to be the number one guy for this offense now Now that Tyreek Hill is gone. Pringles with Chicago. Uh, and, and and Watkins, of course, has been gone for a few years now. MVS Juice, I do not think in the long run is going to be the answer for this for this Kansas City Chiefs offense. But it was a Travis Kelsey show, and the Travis Kelsey show it was. Nine targets, eight receptions, 120 yards receiving, one touchdown catch in a game. A sensational effort, a sensational day at the office on the hands of, or at the part of Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And on the flip side of the coin with the Arizona Cardinals, what you see is what you get. And if you're the Cardinals front office, you know, you get you get what you pay for. I mean, why I, I said it at the time back in the back in the summer during the offseason, I'll say it again. Whatever compelled the Arizona Cardinals front office, that's the GM, that's ownership. To give not just Cliff Kingsbury, but also Colin Murray contract extensions after the ending of the season they had in 2021. And they got thoroughly outclassed and embarrassed. And Kingsbury got coached circles around by McVay. And Murray got outplayed circles around by Matthew Stafford in return. Whatever compelled them to give those two to give those two peas in a pot a contract extension prior into the season where if anything out they 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 need to be playing for a contract extension be playing for their lives playing for playing for their quote unquote supper so to speak is is a moral embarrassment and a disgrace you get what you pay for you get what you get you don't get upset you get no buyer's remorse why they gave those two a contact contract extension heading into the season, I'll never understand. They were pathetic in the game. Cliff Kingsbury has zero business being a head coach in the National Football League at any position and doing anything the National Football League. And he's the cast pretty boy ass back to college. He has no idea what the hell he's doing. Got out coached in by got out coached in circles by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. And Kyler Murray got outplayed uh, a, a million times over by Patrick Mahomes. 22 of 34, 193, two touchdowns. Not, not, you know, oh, it's okay. That that ain't good enough against that Kansas City Chiefs offense, even without, even without Tyree Kill. It's just, it's just not cutting it. It ain't cutting it. Sign of things to come with the New York football giants. Uh, beating the uh, Titans 21-20. I have zero issues, zero whatsoever. They ha- they've, been, they've been in the abyss. They've been pathetic. They've been the laughing stock in the National Football League 
for the last decade plus now, dating back to since they won the Super Bowl 46 2011 NFL championship against New England. They have not had a real respectable head coach at the helm since Tom Coughlin, since Tom Coughlin was told to say goodnight. I have zero issues whatsoever with uh, Brian Debo decided to go for two. I thought the play was going to blow up tremendously, but uh, I thought the play was going to blow up tremendously in their faces. But uh, but it worked. But it worked out nevertheless. Saquon Barkley went back to the fountain of youth, uh, turned back the clock, and had a sensational, outstanding performance in the game. 18 carries, 164 yards rushing, and a touchdown. Daniel Jones stinks. I, I've I've seen enough of Daniel Jones behind center suiting up for the New York Football Giants to last a lifetime. You're not winning anything. You're not winning anything with him long term. He is not your franchise quarterback. He's not going to win you a Super Bowl. He's not going to win you the division. He's not going to get you into the playoffs. He's not going to win you playoff games. He's not going to get you into Super Bowl. Get you an, get you get you to an NFC Championship. He's not that. The experiment with Daniel Jones has got to end sooner rather than later from a Giants perspective. But it looks like, I understand one game, don't want to overreact, but you look at how Brian Dayball coached and managed his game with the Giants compared to Nathaniel Hackett, and Hackett's got Russell Wilson and a team trying to compete to win a division and go to the Super Bowl, and Dayball's got Daniel Jones in a rebuilding Giants squad and Dayball looked like the one who should have been coaching Denver last night and not Nathaniel Hackett. They may have something with him. There'll be growing pains. He'll probably he'll probably make some, some head scratching mistakes at some point in time this season. We'll see. Still only week one, after week one, heading into week two now. But I was very impressed. With his coaching job, you know he didn't. He didn't. I another thing I also like too. He didn't pat and kiss Daniel Jones's ass when he when when Daniel Jones, as Danny Derps as I like to call him, struck up and and started turning over the football all over the place. No, he got in his grill. He got in his face and he said, "Hey, enough with the stupid decisions. Turn over the football. We're not doing that." No problem with him going for two. I do have an issue with the Tennessee Titans and their stupid, stupid, stupid decision on um, to run that end around to run that end around play on that third down, which 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 was just beyond dumb, and and trying and trying to milk the clock and 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 not getting Randy Bullock in better range. 47 for Randy Bullock a 47 yard field goal is no gimme. Take it as a as as a Bengals fan. It ain't no gimme. Yeah, you got to get under 30, you got to get 35 yards and closer for Randy Bullock cuz cuz 47 yards for him might as well be 57. My takeaways from that game. Uh and then uh well before I I'll do the Cowboys to close up. 
a couple of other things because the Cowboys want to spend a lot of a little bit of time on to close out the segment. Uh, three quick things with Week One. Also, uh, before I get to the Cowboys, Falcons are joke uh, choked again. Saints had zero business winning that football game, and they ended up winning it anyway, 27-21. The Falcons are pathetic, waste of damn time. What else is new? Uh, the refs blew the intentional grounding penalty, which should have been called. Uh, having said that, the Panthers were way too conservative with their offensive play calling at the end of the game. Baker Mayfield is pathetic. Uh, if you want me to read you a stat line, he's so much for what we're going to feel David dangerous trying to F up the Panther. I mean, if you if you go out there, it's 16 for 27, 235 passing yards, getting sacked four times, one touchdown pass, an interception, that is disgusting. Disgusting. And with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, played solid, didn't play great. The They they kept the Jets in that game way too long than they should have. I anticipated a a, four, a, a, a 40 to nothing uh, route, especially with the handling of, with Lamar Jackson. But then we found out that Lamar Jackson was the one that turned that turned down the new contract. So maybe that had something to do with it. Who the hell knows? But I mean, he he played solid, good enough to beat the Jets. Not good enough for me. Seventeen of thirty, two thirteen, and he threw the ball great. Don't get me wrong. Had some nice patches, passes. Had nice touch. Has some nice, uh, nice touch on 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 a couple of the touchdown passes to Duvernay, and one of them he had to Bateman in the back of the end zone. But you gotta give me a little better than seventeen of thirty, two hundred thirteen yards against the Jets. I'm sorry. That that's good enough to beat the Jets. The Ravens' schedule, you got. Yeah, it may be good enough to beat the Jets, and it may be good enough to beat the Dolphins on Sunday. It may even be good enough to beat the, the to beat the uh, the Patriots in Week Three. Your next two games, the first two to start the month of uh, to start out the month of October, hosting Buffalo at home uh, October the second, and then the following week Sunday against Cincinnati. That ain't gonna be good enough to beat Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. I'm telling you that right now. I don't care how good your defense plays. That it'll be good enough. It'll be good enough to beat the the uh, the, the 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 garbage of the Jets and the, and the mediocre uh, Dolph mediocre at best uh, Dolphins and, and Patriots. But you bet. I hope for, from a Ravens perspective and objectively looking at this, Lamar better hope he he's playing better for the come come uh, come October second and the ninth. Cause that 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 is not that is that is a recipe for disaster going up against those two teams. Playing man, good enough to beat the Jets, but not good enough to beat the big bad teams in the AFC. Looking ahead down the road in the schedule, and Dallas Cowboys season is cooked. Season's cooked. They, Dak Prescott. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. Dak Prescott is one of the most overrated, most overhyped, overly talked about, and overly praised quarterbacks in the National Football League I've ever seen. He's okay, average at best. And when you look at it clearly, when you don't with, take the cowboy shades out, take the take the emotionalism out of it with liking Dak Prescott, you look at it objectively, clearly, Dak Prescott is not that good. He's above average, average at best, especially in home games, 
road games, especially road playoff games, especially, I let left to be desired. Even before the injury, he was pathetic. Missing throws left and right, which is bad. 14 and 19, 134 yards, one interception. That's not good enough. Ezekiel Elliott is washed. What the hell else is new? But the but the Cowboys, from Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, to Mike McCarthy, make your way down the list. Somehow in their convoluted mind, I understand they gave him the big time contract, which I was for at the time, and they'll rule and they'll rue the day that they agreed to it, and they'll live to regret it. But Zeke is washed. Seven yards, your longest carry, ten carries, fifty-two, washed. When everybody and their mother knows that Tony Pollard is your best back, and he's only getting and he's only getting six carries for eight yards, or eight yards of rushing on the ground. Zeke is washed. Dak is overrated. He's gonna miss some time, if not the, if not the majority of the meaning, meaningful part of the season with a, with a with a, with a, with an issue with a with a stump. Jerry Jones, whatever crack he's on, whatever whatever. Look at he's drinking somehow thinks that he's going to avoid IL and everything's going to be all right and everything's going to be uh, sugar, uh, sugar and spice and everything nice with the Dallas Cowboys. That, Jerry Jones needs to pull it. Jerry Jones's head is so far up his own ass he can give himself uh, a clean bill of health and a, he, can, he can give himself a prostate exam and, 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 and a colonoscopy exam and not have to pay a nickel. His head is so far up his own ass. I mean, one plus one equals equals three in Jerry Jones's mind. Honestly, is he he never fails. Um, but but they're dead. Their their offensive line is inept. They have no playmakers on offense. Ceedee Lamb was just. I mean, when Ceedee Lamb is double covered, I mean, who else? Brown, Schultz, uh, Houston. I mean. This this garbage roster that the Cowboys put together. You, you no no Michael Gallup, and you and you double up Ceedee Lamb. Who else do you have offensively? That that would keep a defensive coordinator up at night. Cause cause whatever I saw on Sunday night, no, not a good roster. This. Honestly, when you look, this is, they lost more than they gained in the offseason. With the whole, I like our guys mentality, a la Buckshow Walter. No, your roster's not that good. Your best chance of winning a Super Bowl was the roster that you had last year. And you pissed it away. And right then and there, your door slammed shut. Because this Dallas Cowboy roster is worse not as good, not better, worse than worse than last year's roster. Way worse. Lack of depth and lack of talent. Their season is cooked. And Mike McCarthy, dead man walking. And as per usual, undisciplined as hell. Ten penalties, 73 yards. Whatever can go wrong, will go wrong for the Dallas Cowboys. Better damn, I'm telling you, Bengals, perfect opportunity. I said beat the hell out of Pittsburgh, whatever. If you can't beat this dead caucus, you might as well not even show up the other 15 games. If you can't beat Cooper Rush in this this sleepwalking 10-man syndrome 
team that is known as the Dallas Cowboys. Might might as well not even play the other fifteen the other fifteen games if you, if you don't thoroughly beat the hell out of Dallas on Sunday. And I don't want to hear about great defense. Find like I said, stop Michael Parsons and put up thirty. And defense get after the quarterback with that turnstile offensive line they got. Force some turnovers and and and, and score and score on defense. Score on defense. From a Tampa perspective, listen, ran the ball great. We all know Dallas Cowboys. You know they're stopping the run. You know can get a little iffy with that. Leonard Fournette, twenty-one carries, one hundred twenty-one yards on the ground. Uh, excellent night at the office for him. Brady threw the ball great. Did not have a great game. Man, you know, like Lamar, good enough to beat this Cowboy team. But, you know, will it be good enough to beat the Saints next week? 18-27, 1 bad interception he had where the ball just came out of his hand like a wet bar of soap. Got sacked twice. I'm not so sure. Handled the man's offensive line uh, pretty good. Only, only Again, only got sacked twice, but... Pretty good, 18-27, 2-12, one interception, 19 points. That's not going to be good enough to beat Green Bay in two weeks. I tell you that. And Tampa's already three-point favorites in that game. They'll play better. I count on them to play better. Shaking out the cobwebs. You know, you're, you're very fortunate. You know, you're, you're playing a team to shake out the cobwebs against, and you still end up walking away with the victory, beating your opponent pretty handily, but... 19 points. I expect them to play better, but long-term, of course, it's, it's, it's obviously not the standard for Tom Brady and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We take a break. We preview the Chargers and Chiefs and write, my, and write the eulogy for the 2022 Baltimore Orioles to wrap up the program, the Amatelica TIS podcast. We return to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Two items of things when we get on the board before we say goodbye. Um, first off, the preview the Thursday night matchup. Uh, this thing, this game's going to be on Prime Video, so you better make sure that you get yourself an Amazon Prime account between Tuesday night and Thursday night uh, and download the Prime Video app on your iPad, your phone, your device. If you have a smart TV, see if your smart TV is updated enough, which it should be, and download uh, Prime Video on that if you, watch it, if you want to watch it on your TV. Or make sure that you got the Prime Video app downloaded on your Amazon Fire TV stick or your Roku so you can be able to watch the game. Or if you have NFL Plus, I believe, you can also watch it too. Um, uh, just a little uh, just a little uh, sidebar. But as far as the game is concerned, both of these teams 1-0. Highly anticipated matchup. NFL did Amazon a favor in their official uh, debut of, thurs- of uh, Thursday Night Football that they gave them. Uh, Chargers and Chiefs, which, as you recall, ironically enough, which was the last Thursday night football game that Fox did uh, back in uh, mid-December, ended in overtime. Travis Kelsey uh, zigzagged his way through the uh, Chargers' defense to score the game-winning touchdown that Kansas City so desperately uh, that Kansas City so desperately needed to stay uh, to stay in the hunt of getting the uh, of getting the uh, you know. Avoiding having to play, uh, avoiding having to play a wild card weekend, which he ended up having to do anyway, uh, with their Week 17 loss to Cincinnati, 
Um, but uh, it should be an intriguing matchup. Um, I think me and myself personally, this this game speaks more about Kansas City and 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 a real barometer of where they stand. We know the Charger we know the Chargers are good. We know the Chargers are an AFC contender. We know that they that they are going to be in the thick of things along with Kansas City with as as, as content when it comes to contending winning the AFC West and be, and being a, a contender within that division and being a Super Bowl contender and a contender to make it out of the AFC to go to the Super Bowl. And and listen, we saw the Chargers beat Kansas City in Kansas City last September last year when Mahomes threw, I believe it was either three or four interceptions, was throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, so we saw Kansas City, we saw we saw the Chiefs beat, Can, excuse me, we saw the Chargers beat Kansas City in Arrowhead last season last year they split the season series last year with the with the with the road team winning uh winning the boat winning the two games uh and ever in in the two in the two teams uh uh respective uh home stadium what i am more uh what i am more intrigued by is whether or not the chiefs defense or excuse me the chiefs offense will a be ready for the test of the tight of the uh, of the Kansas City. Why am I getting all these teams wrong? The Chargers defense will they be ready for the test of uh, of Los Angeles's defense with the addition of uh, with the addition of Khalil Mack, who uh, had a very good game uh, on Sunday against the Raiders, and will they and how will they be able going up against their first top tier uh, elite defense? of the young 2022 season, not just, you know, and we probably would, would be saying this anyway, but especially because of the fact that no Tyreek Hill, you figure that the Chargers are going to go into that game, taking away Travis Kelsey and make Patrick Mahomes beat, you know, the way that they beat, and I read you the stat sheet early in the show, the way that they beat the Cardinals, which is that Travis Kelsey just had a field day on them. What are they going to do? When the Chargers defense takes away Travis Kelsey, and you got to rely on MVS and Juju, and um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, the uh, the white the other uh, not Pringle, uh, McCall Hardman, and you got to rely on those three guys to beat you. If Kansas City is smart, they don't do what the Cardinals did and blitz the hell out of Patrick Mahomes. You got to contain them. You know, make them go, make take away the big. Don't blitz them. Take away over the top and make and make them beat you short on the dink and dunk passes. That's when he gets flustered. That's when he gets nervous. Then that's when the defense. Then that's when he holds on to the ball too long. Don't know what to do because he's scared to throw interceptions. Scared to make a mistake. Then that's when you get your. That's when when your defensive pass rush begins to you know has the opportunity to capitalize, and you're able to uh, get after Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to be able to win. Chase them all over the football field because that's a recipe for not for an unmitigated disaster. But you know, will the, how will the Chargers game plan? Kansas City, no Tyreek Hill, and you would highly anticipate, especially after the game that Kelsey had on Sunday, they take away Travis and and they'll make MVS, Juju, and uh, and McCall Hardman beat them. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see that as the game moves along, you know, if you see that McCall Hardman, 
you know, if, if out of the three receivers, McCall Harmon's having the best game, you know, how will the game open up and will Juju and MVS take it upon themselves to kind of help uh, Mahomes out and open up the passing game a little bit by by taking over the game in their own regard at the wide receiver uh, position. And then if you're the Kansas City Chiefs defense, are you able to keep up with uh, Justin Herbert and keep them from scoring 35 points? Because they were not, they were just, whew, they were bad, especially in the, in the second game in the, uh, uh, last year in December at SoFi. Very bad. So keep an eye on that game. That game should be very, very good. I'm looking forward to it. And then the other part of this monologue, uh, or not, well, closing monologue, I should say, is my Baltimore Orioles. You know, they, they, they're they done. They're dead. They're finished. The coup de grace was them going up against the Boston Red Sox, who are just inept, who are bad. Their bullpen is pathetic. And they just go out there and just get their ass kicked. Uh, they got outscored by Boston in this series, twenty to seven. If my man, yes, they got outscored by Boston in the series, twenty to seven, twenty to seven, twenty to seven. They can't hit. Dead bats are dead. Team is dead. Team is flat. They can't score any runs. They're pitching outside of holding. Boston down for the most part, outside of a few mistakes on Friday and Sat on and Sunday, their their pitching is is, is pathetic. Um, their bullpen is taxed. Their bullpen is tired. They are uninspiring. They're dull. They're lethargic. They're born. They basically went right back to the way they were playing in April, and now it's just a matter of will this team finish above five hundred. With and I'll pull up their record and their disgusting place in the standings in a minute. Now it's just a matter of will this team finish above 500 with, as my MLB app takes 50 years to load up properly, will it be a, a method of will they finish above 500? They've lost, they've lost seven or eight out of the last one. They've, they've, well, I'll tell you, they've lost, let's go back, go back to the Sunday loss where with the A's, which is when the shit hit the fan. They've lost one, two, three, four, five, six out of their last seven games, out of their last eight games. They've lost six out of their last eight. They have not won a series since they beat Cleveland last, since they beat Cleveland damn near two weeks ago. They went two, they went two up, or excuse me, they went one, two, three, four up, and one, three, four, five, six. They went four and six on a homestand, which which is which is unacceptable. I told you guys they won too long. I told you guys they were right there with Houston, one of the best home records in the American League, and now look how much they've fallen. If they want any chance, they they got to sweep the Nationals, sweep the Blue Jays, and then reassess things on the 19th when they come back home to play Detroit. 
I mean, you want to talk about a team that has hit the wall and hit the wall hard and is flat, just boring, uninspiring, lifeless, dull, a bunch of dude, ten bunch of dudes dressed up in Oreo uniforms, ten man syndrome with no heart, no passion, just dead, just dead, just dull, just lifeless. Haven't had any signs of life and have been a completely different baseball team with the exception of Friday night and uh, and Tuesday the sixth since they beat the brakes off of Oakland eight one, and ever since they got shut out five nothing. On September the 4th, on a Sunday afternoon, which they never win. And newsflash, Sunday came and went. Week 1 football, doesn't matter. Done offense, like Chick-fil-A, closed on Sundays. Don't even bother to show up. Get shut out by Boston 1-0. It's just, just it's done. The, the, what I'm saying right now does not affect how I think, uh, does not change how I think about this team going forward. Doesn't change the fact this team will make the, will make the playoffs. And I believe in leaning, depending on how the offseason goes, will win a division in 2023. Doesn't change the fact that I believe in my heart of hearts this team will win a division in 2024. And that this team will become the, the San Francisco Giants of the 2020s and will become baseball's next best and greatest dynasty. Period. This season is lost. This 2022 team is dead. This season is dead. Their playoff hopes are dead. See ya, February 2023. Starting the starting rotation is is in, in dire need of help over the offseason. The bullpen, which has been fantastic all year, is taxed to hell. I don't want to see uh I don't want to see Keegan Aiken or Brian Baker in an Oreo uniform come opening day 2023. Get those two useless bums the hell off my baseball team. And the bats have been average at best in certain points of the season, and have been damn and have been damn near a level of rookie ball the other parts of the season. Ironically enough, the front and the back end in April, early May, and currently right now since uh, September the fourth, a September collapse of the Baltimore Orioles. And yes, we can look back. We can say what a season it was. It was nice. It was they were a feel good story. Ten game win streak. Trey Mancini. Who saw this coming? At one point they were a half a game out of a wild card spot. This, that, and the other. You know they they eclipsed their win total from the previous seasons and won over seventy games. They won't lose a hundred games. They won't lose ninety. But now I'm watching this team, or at least reading up and hearing about them, because I haven't sat down to watch a game since they were embarrassing on Saturday night. Uh, it's and now it's just a matter of whether or not they'll finish with a with a plus run differential and finish finish with a run differential in the green, and and whether or not they'll 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 finish at at 500. They've been that bad over the last week week and a half, that bad. And, and, and honest to God, it's just truly pathetic. Really, really, I understand expectations, but that they just—I understand getting beat and hitting the wall because teams are better than you. No excuse for how they played. Uh, no excuse for how they played uh, versus uh, versus uh, versus the Red Sox this weekend. No excuse for that. And then for for the Blue Jays, not even come out with with a split at the bare minimum is just as pathetic. 
I mean, one of one of a good buddy of mine that I that part of the part of the uh, Mad Dog Sports Radio family, if you will, Robbie in Arizona, who's a big time uh, listens to the show and is a big time uh, Detroit sports fan, told me that he was going to be in town for when his Detroit Tigers talk about a team that's hit the wall and has had a disappointing season. Uh, supposed to be in town to watch the Tigers play the Orioles. Said for with work complications he couldn't make it. Gave me the tickets, ladies and gentlemen. That game against Detroit is a week from today, and I don't even know if I, I may have to go to the game and grin Barrett, just to make just to as just as a thank you to Rob for being such a good human being, reaching out to me and giving me the tickets. I may just have to go just to make sure the tickets don't go to waste. But if I but is it ain't unless they fix themselves, it's gonna be a, a rough sojourn into the city on that Tuesday night, a, a rough sojourn back, and a rough nine innings. Even if they do win, just looking at at the outlook of this thing. Honest to God, they've been a different baseball team somewhat since I went to see them play on August the eighteenth when they just. Showed their ass and embarrassed themselves against the Chicago Cubs in the makeup game. A lot left to be desired for my Baltimore Orioles. And the only chance they have of somehow keeping me interested and keeping their playoff hopes alive as it's sinking by the minute, by the game, by the at bat, by the inning. At seventy three and sixty seven, heading into their first game against the Nationals, and five and a half games back at the second wild card spot, they they better go on a on a rampage or on a forget to, they need to go on a fifteen game win streak, sweep the Nationals, beat the hell out of the Blue Jays, and then come back home and face Detroit, and then we can maybe feel better about things. But what a I understand we're still technically early. Teetering towards mid-September at this point, but it's been a forget. It's been a September to forget. Let me tell you, for my Baltimore Orioles, jam-packed show had a lot to talk about, but it was all worth it. And I hope you all, the audience, enjoyed. If you like what you heard and you're a new listener to the I'm Telling TIS podcast, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. If you shall, if you may, please. I will talk to you guys on Friday. Have a good uh, rest of the middle of your work week. Talk to you later. See you.